You can start. I'm not gonna start. You're gonna have to start. We're not gonna say you. You need to start first. Oh, hi. Yo, see, look, we were breaking. <laughs> we're breaking tradition today. We are breaking tradition. So this week on the podcast, we have got Julie Colmer. Julie is an autism activist. She is an ambassador, and she's an author. We love authors, don't we? Yeah, don't, that means don't we get, get to... confused with Joe, who is my brother and not autistic. No, Jolie. Yeah. Uh, beautiful name, love that Ma- name. Make sure to not confuse them. So we're going to um, just tell you a couple of things that are going on this week. We have got some great offers on. It's October. You can buy any cat or school necklace and get another one for half price. Um, but you can't buy any cat, full <laughs> stop. You can't take Luna. Uh, we've got loads of great content. Um... Can you hear Luna crying? Luna's crying behind the door. Um, <laughs> I might let her in for the next part. Right, so yeah, so loads of great content. We also have a really great offer. You can join as a Prime member this month for just £10. That means you get your Chewy Gem, um, your free postage, your gift, you become a member of the VIC. And it's a special offer at reduced price from £13.95 down to £10. Can you hear them kids outside? Yeah. I um, hope you can't hear it on the video. Yeah, so if you get a Prime membership, you get access to the VIC group where me and Katie on the 5th <gasps> of November are doing a bonfire party where you really need to be. So you really need to join and come and join us for that party. Right, we're going to listen to Jolie. We're going to let the cat in and we'll see you soon. We love a net and we love a chat. We love to help and that's a fact. So we have made it our mission to find stuff out. From diagnosis and education, slimming out of your frustration. Chat to folks who've been there too, collect it together and share it with you. If you know someone we should speak to, send them our way and that's what we'll do. We like to have our sensory matters. You know what? Hi everyone, it's Jenny here again with another Sensory Matters show. And today I'm very excited to be chatting to Jolie Colmer, who many of you... Hi Jolie, how are you doing? <laughs> are you good? I'm doing well, thank you. Yes, very good. Excellent. Now, I'm sure lots of you um, will know her from her book. Um, so I'm going to hold her book up now. Hopefully that's not back to <laughs> Um Which is Asperger's World, My Fairy Jam Jar, which is, yeah, if you've read the book, you know why it's called that. Um, so that's really interesting and Jolly's done so much stuff for so many parts of autism and Asperger's in terms of raising awareness so someone that I'm really looking forward to chatting to but before we get into all of that now I believe you used to communicate using Egyptian hieroglyphics do you want to tell us about that yes um, so I'm, I'm Jolie and I have autism and I do love my autism because it has blessed me with many different quirks. And one of them is that I can communicate using hieroglyphics. <laughs> so I can learn and remember any facts that I've ever learned relating to my specialist interests and my passions. So when I was younger, I was deaf and I couldn't speak until I was seven. Wow. And and I was taught how to do sign language, but I mostly communicated using ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics. I wish I could show you an example, but um, I used to fill pages and pages of my notebooks with all of these hieroglyphics and all the scenes 
from different aspects of ancient Egyptology that interested me and helped me cope, like the afterlife ceremonies and things like that. I used to find it really therapeutic. So <laughs> I would show people these hieroglyphics and they'd be like, oh, that's nice. And that would be it. <laughs> <laughs> so did you know what it means? It's just me. So it didn't work very well as a communication, but... Yeah, that one that one kind of went went away a, a few thousand years ago. Um, <laughs> yeah, but d did your family have to learn to adapt to that then? Yeah, they 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 did learn eventually what some of the main ones meant that I would show them. But it was mostly through sign language that they communicated with me. Wow. Okay. Um, so let's let's just go right back to the beginning of your journey then um you you got diagnosis quite early didn't you so do you want to walk me through what that was like i was diagnosed at two as having autism and i <laughs> how do i describe me as a child um, <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, I was known as a whirlwind, and I would go from room to room and just make an absolute mess of it. I, and it would be, I would do that because I was trying to learn and make sense of the world around me, and it was also a part of stimming. Yeah. You know, controlling the sensory input with a safe and controlled sensory output. And so, as a child, I would, I wouldn't be able to hear people and I wouldn't be able to make sense of what they were saying when they were telling me to stop, and I just made a mess everywhere. So I was trying to learn, and I was trying to explore and cope with the sensory madness that was life as a child who has autism. <laughs> so that's, that's quite early that it was picked up. So what, how, yeah. how did that get picked up so early? My mum had experience working with children with autism, and she just saw all the signs and my parents just, well, they just fought for me to get a early diagnosis. And yeah, it happened when I was two. Okay. Very key in that way. Yeah, but that, that's a really positive thing to have got that so young. Um, yeah. Definitely. It really, really changed, shaped my life for the future. Yeah. So what, what happened then when you became school age? Did you go to mainstream school? So I... I went to a special needs school as a child um, and they were amazing. They supported me and, you know, shaped me to become school ready for mainstream. So I started doing um, like a dual placement with a mainstream school when I was 10 and it was sort of half days at the special school and then half days at the mainstream and I was about nine at the time. And then... And then I went to mainstream secondary, which was, how do I describe that? <laughs> I think for anyone it's a rite of passage, isn't it? But I, that must have been quite a change for you. Yes, massive change. It was about the time that I was starting to realise that I was a bit different. Because when I was a child, I never really made connections of anything. Like, I thought I was the same as everyone else. I never realised that... Like, I could see the rain on my skin and not realise I was getting wet. I, I, I was just so lost in my own little Asperger world that I just couldn't make connections of anything going out, going on outside. 
So when I started secondary school, it was chaos because suddenly everything was starting to make, not make sense. That is definitely different. Word. <laughs> everything was starting to come together and sort of blow up, if you like, and it was sensory mayhem and it was changing routine and so much so much change on an like a minutely basis and it was just I really don't know how I got through it. <laughs> so when you were at the special school you were aware that you were there because you had autism? No okay. It was just somewhere that I went every day. Right. I never I knew it was I understood but I never realized that me or the children around me at special school was at, were actually different or disabled or special needs I just there was too much going on for me to actually process the information and make sense of what I was seeing. So I just thought we were just normal. Okay. So then well, you've, well, you've kind of lived in this little protected bubble, I suppose, where the, the specialist school would probably be quite accommodating to your needs and quite understanding. And then to be plucked out of that into full-on mainstream secondary school, I can see how that then exploded. And you do talk a lot in your book about you know, bullying and people's perceptions of things. Is that something you experienced? A lot, yeah. Wow. I couldn't make sense of what was happening. And when people were bullying me, I never realised it because I can't make connections of what's happening. And, of course, you've then got mate crime where people are friends with you for the sole purpose of exploiting you either physically or sexually, financially. And as a disabled person, as an autistic person, I didn't realise it was happening. And I was just so thankful to have friends. I was like, I have friends now, finally. Why do I feel so alone? And it was only until years later that I realised I was actually a victim of bullying and mate crime by some of these friends. And it's crushing to suddenly realize that everything you thought you understood about yourself and your relationships and your life as a teenager is all lies mm. so they really twist your perceptions of what, who you are and what you deserve and yeah I thought I was undeserving of real friendships so I was just so desperate to bend to their every desire and do whatever they wanted because I was so desperate not to lose their friendship because yeah. I believed they taught me that I didn't deserve any better. Oh, that's sad, <laughs> isn't it? But you're, you're, you're out the other side of it now, and that's probably then gone on and learned, you know, taught, taught you a lot about who you are and helped you develop, I hope, really good, meaningful friendships now. Yes. So are you a lot, a lot more choosy? How do you, because that's, I mean, how do you assess that? How do you know who's genuine, who's not? Is that a challenge for you? It, I think it will always be a challenge, but I think I am slowly learning to understand what healthy relationships are. And it's something that I'm also quite passionate about as an autism activist. I'm always trying to raise understanding of what healthy relationships are and what they are not. And with that, I've it sort of became like a passion of mine, like I said, and I researched a lot into it. So with that research, I'm slowly, very slowly, <laughs> making sense of what it is. But 
seeing all of the symptoms and the traits of healthy and unhealthy relationships on paper, mm-hmm. it's very different to being able to recognize it in a person. So, yeah, I'm, I still struggle, but... And I don't think you're, you're alone in that um, at all. It's, it's a common thing. So if you were going to say to someone one tip that is a good way to identify um, a friend that is not really a friend, what would you say? using your disability or your anything that makes you you against you so saying you're autistic that means that you're so difficult to deal with you should feel lucky that i'm helping you all the time because it's your such hard work that's a very negative and manipulative thing and makes the autistic or disabled person feel like they don't deserve any better because they are so hard work and it's not true we deserve the love and the kindness and it's not our faults that we need that extra support and then we'll edit in that that bit that you just said so that's fine so i'll just make a note of that that's cool okay um so for you when you were um what what does your autism look like because it all everyone presents differently so what what makes your autism your autism I look like this. (laughs) Um, A lot of people don't believe I have autism and they think that I'm either faking it or I was misdiagnosed and I can reassure you that I am definitely autistic. I am able to talk to you now because we are talking about my specialist interest which is autism and my autism activism. If you were to talk to me about anything else I would be stuttering and slurring and unable to really communicate any of my thoughts because there's too much going on for me to be able to process it all and work out what to say but when it's autism I can just talk because it's all practice to perfection (laughs) and I talk about it a lot so there's and it's usually sounds quite bad but it's usually quite one-sided and I can just talk and say what I need to say because I'm I'm a motivational speaker and I can just read what it says and that's it it's, there's no one-to-one conversations yeah yeah that makes sense <laughs> and like with you today I am still talking about my autism so I'm I'm okay yeah but as for how how my autism looks it's it changes how it feels to you or you know how it affects you yeah it changes on an hourly basis like i'm masking quite a lot right now so that i can talk to you and try to try to converse and cope with the impromptu questions and things but generally this is all i can actually do today so in order to talk with you, I am prioritizing this conversation over any of my chores or my or any of my other needs that I need to do for today. So after this conversation, I will be probably in bed in agony and I will probably not do anything for the next few days. And that's okay because this is my passion and I do love to do it and I wouldn't have it any other way. But it it just sort of show just how much my autism can change on an on an hourly basis, just how different I can be. And when I am resting, I, I am completely speechless. I can't talk and I can't walk. 
I I lose all of my physical capabilities. Yeah. And you know, I do have many abilities, but I'm not always capable of doing those abilities because of my shutdowns and my autism. Yeah. So yeah, changes. So I can't really say how how it looks. So for me, Look, it's sorry. I used a I used a literal thing, and I probably shouldn't have. I know that's not good. I didn't mean actually how it how it actually looks. I meant I meant how it presents to you. But you you've explained it well because it's yeah because it's communication. Um, that's that's what you find the hardest by the sounds of it. Unless it's something you're comfy with and interested in, then you 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 find it difficult. And then after that, you're just exhausted anyway from trying to is it is it trying to i mean i suppose masking is trying to conform isn't it and um, we'll talk about masking later because i know that's one of the things that you're quite passionate about um but yeah do you have any other things like do you have like are your senses heightened have you got a bit of like sensory processing in terms of sound and touch and sight all of the above yes okay. all of it <laughs> okay um yeah where do i start with that huh. So sensory issues is a massive thing for me. I'll go through all the senses. Okay. So with touch, my skin often feels like it's burning and prickling and and if I touch something rough that once I let go of it, it's not like that texture goes away. That texture stays on my fingertips and it stays ingrained in me and it's like it's still there, it's like I'm still touching it, but I'm not. And that's part of my sensory difficulties. And and like the itchiness from clothes and having to cut out all the labels and wear very specific things because I just can't cope with anything that's like rigid on my skin or itchy or even things that most people wouldn't even notice <laughs> can cause me great anxiety and it, and it just, controls all of my thoughts so that I can't focus on anything that's important around me. All I can think about is this, the fact that my skin is burning, the fact that I feel like... <laughs> I'm getting tense just thinking about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, And the thing is with sensory issues is that the past injustice from sensory issues can come back in forms of flashbacks. Okay. And and this can in include all of the sensory issues, so like the hearing and sight and smell. And I'm going to try and give an example of this. I once looked after a child who, who was autistic and he was very well behaved, he always tried to do the right thing, reminded me a lot of myself and and then one day he came back from a holiday and he was just seemingly out of nowhere, he'd just start screaming and he'd be like this and he'd be hiding under the table and rocking and it seemed like it came out of nowhere but of course Behaviour like that does not come from nowhere. There is a reason for it and we need to understand what that reason is rather than, mm -hmm. you know, telling, telling him off or anything. So we made a note of all of the sensory happenings. 
And I slowly realized that every time he was doing this, there was a plane going on, going overhead. And he'd see it and he'd hear it. And it would bring back all of those nasty flashback, sensory flashbacks of when he'd been at the air festival. See, where I live, we have an air festival and there's loads and it's like thousands, millions of people coming to the beach and watching lots of planes going overhead. And this is a very hugely sensory, overwhelming experience with so much noise and sights and smells and touch. And every time he saw a plane, he was reminded of that and he got the sensory flashbacks. So he was reliving it mm. in a sensory form. He was hearing it all. He was smelling it all. Maybe yeah. he couldn't see it, but he was feeling it. Yes. And it was still so raw and so overwhelming for him. And yeah, then we realized that's what, what the issue was. And we managed to calm him down and give him the sensory time out that he needed. And, you know, it really made a difference to him. Right. A lot of other people, like his parents and the teachers of school would be like sending him into detention because they didn't understand what it was. but just delving that much deeper into the reasons why it could have happened has really changed his life at school. Wow, brilliant. Yeah, it just demonstrates, doesn't it? Like, like that we spotted what it was, you know? Yes, and it's, it demonstrates that, that need to understand, you know, before you, before you react, before you assume yeah. it's understand first, isn't it? Um, yeah, okay. Yeah. So not all sensory overloads are caused from the current situation. They can be past flashbacks. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so let's let's move on and talk about your activism because on the footer of your email you've got quite an impressive list. I'm going to read it for the world to hear. Um, Multi-world and national award-winning uh, hashtag actually autistic. So what's that? Um, which awards? So, yeah. Um, the World Anchor Autism Festival Awards, and I, I won twice in the category of community achievement, and I was also made a World Autism Anchor Ambassador. Um, a national, there's, there's a few. <laughs> um, um, I, I won the Point of Light Award from the Prime Minister for volunteering and the YMCA England award for volunteering and then there's, there's quite a few I should have really amazing <laughs> that that must make you feel very proud I don't know it, it makes me feel like I'm making a difference and that that the hard work and the struggles that I've been through have all been worth it because if I've won the awards it it must mean that I'm actually helping people understand autism and, and and hopefully that means that I'm actually helping to make life life easier and better for people and that's kind of all I've ever really wanted to do so yeah. fingers <laughs> you describe yourself as an autism activist um, so what what do you think triggered that because there are lots of people in the world who have autism who just exist having autism and following a career path or whatever they choose to do but you've made it your life's goal and mission to be an activist so how and why I don't, I don't really know I suppose I grew up in a household where 
caring for others was quite a natural normal part of my parents lives like my mum is a childminder and she's always helped make a difference in children's lives and children with disabilities and you know ev everyone and then my dad worked in like a senior care home sort of thing and it just always it always it was always important to me to try and help other people through any difficulties that they might have and then I sort of always had that dream but I never really knew how to make it happen how to make it possible but then I got I found out I had autism when I was 13 it just changed my life and it suddenly everything made sense and I learned to love it it became my specialist interest and I learned everything about it and then it suddenly clicked you know the way that I could make a difference in people's lives and the way I could achieve that dream of helping people is actually by talking about my experience and hoping <laughs> that it helps. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that's it. I learned all about my autism, tried to understand it from different angles and the hows and the whys and the whats, all of the hidden depths and quirks. They all became passions. And now, yeah, now I'm a motivation speaker and I'm autism activist and I, I love what I do. Brilliant. So do you more or less do that full time? Is that pretty much what you do? Yeah. That's brilliant. Excellent. I've never had a proper normal job. <laughs> so you said there that you were diagnosed at 13. So have I misunderstood? Because I thought you had an early diagnosis. I was diagnosed at two. I, um, I misworded it. Okay. <laughs> I was diagnosed at two as autistic. I found out I was oh. autistic at 13. Got you, that makes sense. And then that sits in with the when you went to high school and all of that kind of kicking off. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> um, okay, so you've got the autism trainer, book-specific autism training, Step Into an Asperger's World. So is that another book of yours? No, no, that's my book. That's Asperger's World. I just... Ah, okay, yes. Okay, <laughs> bad. Just the autism training about all of the content in my book yes and it's yeah everything in there yeah okay and it just yeah the autism trainings basically goes into every aspect and every chapter of my book because <laughs> I was going to say I've read I've read quite a lot of books on on autism and what I absolutely love about yours is I don't know whether I can hold this up and people can see that it's broken <laughs> down into absolutely gazillions of sections um, ranging from friends to, um, you know, God, all sorts. Friends, bullying teachers, your state of mind, every, everything. Um, so it's, really, it's, it's a really good kind of quick reference as well if you're faced with a situation and you want to go, all oh, right, yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, very, very much enjoyed it. Can you explain to everyone um, who's maybe not read your book yet um, why you've called it My Fairy Jam Jar? Um, so, I like to think of myself as a fairy in a jam jar, and I say this because as an autistic person, I witness the world from a different angle. So from inside my jam jar, the world looks very differently, and it's almost like a magnifying glass, the jam jar. So I can zoom into all of the details and notice so much stuff that a lot of other people don't. But also in my in my fairy jam jar, I I'm deaf to certain language, 
and the language and the words that filter through to my jam jar can be a bit warped or they don't always make sense and it can often feel like people are talking to me in a completely alien language and I don't always understand what they're saying and then also I'm a fairy because like a fairy I get judged to be naughty or selfish or mischievous <laughs> and it's not always the case I have quirks and I have gifts just like a fairy do to make that my differences are actually quite beautiful I guess and autism I do see autism as a gift and that's why I see myself as a fairy <laughs> very good cool I love it. it it's a really good explanation it makes it makes total sense um, okay, so one of your kind of bugbears, if you like, on the the mission to be an autism activist is the many, many misconceptions that exist around sens- sensory issues. Do you yeah. want to tell me a bit about that? Can you be more specific? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I guess one of the things that, not just sensory issues, one of the things that you've mentioned in one of your videos as well is um, that you don't look autistic. So, what does autism look like? I mean, who came up with that anyway? That's, has that actually happened to you? Has someone actually said? All the time, all the time, to be really surprised. Um, I suppose people have this misconception of what autism is, and they think that if you're able to talk, then you can't be autistic. They think if you can make eye contact, you can't be autistic. If you can leave your house, you can't be autistic. And I suppose to them, an autistic person is someone who's maybe doesn't take much care of themselves and doesn't talk or or is aggressive. Because those are some of the negative misconceptions, and I think that's what a lot of people think, and it really, really breaks my heart. Yeah. Autism is so vast; it's such a massive spectrum, and we are all affected in so many different ways. Like for me, my autism mostly affects my executive dysfunction and my ability to make sense of the world around me. And like I said earlier, I don't process information and I don't make decisions. Usually every hour of my life is organized by someone else, my parents or my my husband. And that's another thing. I'm married. How can I be autistic? Yeah. The the difference is that I'm very lucky because my husband has learned to understand my autism and all of its quirks and and how to communicate with me so that the relationship works. And if he didn't make all of these sacrifices for me on a daily basis, then our relationship wouldn't work. Mm. And it's and it's going back to the executive function. It's it affects me in ways that I can't make I can't make the connection upon seeing a dirty flat or a dirty house that I need to clean. I can't make that connection. I, and obviously that impacts my partner and it makes people think that I'm lazy or selfish. But they don't see that as autism. But that is like the main way that my autism affects me. Right. And whoa, I'm getting a bit dizzy. <laughs> I think I'm starting to shut 
down a little bit. Okay. And that's the, I think my abilities shut down. Yeah, so yeah, because we have been talking quite a long time. Um, and I, I really appreciate you doing this. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll speed it up. We'll do a couple more and then I'll let you go and you can go completely shut down. Is that a deal? Okay. okay. Um, one, one of the things that um, you, you speak about um, as a coping strategy is stimming. You mentioned stimming earlier. Um, so how would you explain stimming to someone that's never heard of it? And why do you need to do it? <laughs> As you know, I recently did a video about this. Um, so, stimming is stimming is so helpful. Basically, what stimming is is a physical or verbal reaction to negative sensory stimuli. So, with me, I tend to do this, or I twirl my hair. And, or I just make very random noises, like, la 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 la, like just any random noise. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and basically the reason I need to do that is because there is so much sensory mayhem coming at me at all times. Sometimes the only way I can focus or try and stay calm from a meltdown is by attempting to control that sensory input, all of the sights and the smells and the things that I can hear, try and control that with something safe and routine and consistent, which is the stimming. So when I'm doing this, I'm trying to focus my energies on doing this. This is what I'm thinking about. And it has the ability to somewhat a little bit, <laughs> drown out some of the sensory input. But sometimes a little bit of sort of faded out sensory mayhem is all you need to be able to calm down. But sensory stimming also helps us focus. So although it looks like we're distracting ourselves and we're thinking about this and we're not really, it actually gives us the ability to sort of focus on what it is that we need to think about and I don't really know how to describe it but all I know is that it's very helpful <laughs> very helpful for me to be able to do this and think about what I need to say and yeah it, stimming so it's, it's almost like a distraction technique that drowns out some of the stuff that might be overloading you yeah which yeah. then allows you to focus on the one thing you need to think about yeah and there's different stim toys for this yeah so I've Oh, a fidget cube. Don't know if you can see it. Yeah. 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 Do you find that helpful? <laughs> Very helpful. Just sort of play with it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it really helps me concentrate. Okay. Like at school, there were times during an exam where I wouldn't make the connection that I needed more paper because there was so much sensory mayhem from the exam and then the pressure of the exam that I didn't realise that I could just pick up the piece of, there'd be a pile of paper in front of me and I didn't realise I could just pick it up and continue to write my answer. I couldn't process the information and I couldn't make that connection. So, but with stimming, the first time I wasn't allowed to stim or have a break and do this and the first time I failed because I couldn't make the connection to get more paper and continue writing my answer. But the next time, 
I was allowed to have a little bit of time out just to do this, just to get my head thinking again. And I was able to realise that I needed paper and I was able to continue writing and I was able to still make sense of what was happening and sort of drown out some of the other bits and it just makes such a difference being able to stim. Yeah, really, that's a really powerful example though, you know, that it can make such a big difference to, to your life in general and yeah. everyday tasks. Brilliant, really good. Okay, I can see you're, you're kind of getting tired, so I've got one more question and then we'll, we'll let you go, which is in the video that I watched of you that you did, you talk about gas masking which is something I have never heard of before in my life. Um, but I thought it was fascinating. So can you, can you tell us a bit about that? So it's one of my passions. I've got many. Yes. <laughs> um, so gaslighting is... Whew, it's something that a lot of autistic and disabled people face. And it's often done unintentionally by people that don't mean them any harm. And this is where it gets confusing because a lot of people understand gaslighting to be something that is intentional, intentional emotional abuse to make someone doubt their insanity. But in an unintentional way, it's actually something that all autistic people have faced at some point in their lives and it's hugely damaging. So what gaslighting is, is to emotionally manipulate someone into doubting their own sanity, self, or lived experience, or their lived realities. So, unintentionally, it's people saying that you need to make eye contact, because if you don't, you're wrong. If you don't, you're not helping yourself. If you don't, well, there's no reason for you not to. It's, it's putting the blame on the autistic people, and it's not and not trying to understand why the reasons are that we need to do it and by saying that we there's no reason for us not to that demeans our entire lived experience and makes us think hey actually maybe i should be making eye contact maybe there is no reason for me not to and it damages our own thoughts about who we are and what we do and why we need to do things and there's a whole bunch of other examples like for me with my shutdowns I lose the ability to physically talk or walk or do any type of life skills at all and I once went to a doctor and he said Jolie it's not physically possible for you for this this is this cannot exist you're 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 making it up it's all in your head you're faking it so no I'm not going to give you pain relief I'm not going to do any I'm not going to like help in any way because I don't believe there is a problem here and and the damage that done not only did I not get the pain relief I didn't get the support I needed it also taught me that maybe I am just crazy for my skin burning at texture in my clothes maybe I am just insane for not for not being able to make eye contact. Maybe I'm mental. Yeah, that's you have shutdowns. And it changes everything you think you understand of yourself. Not and it's good something for your that... self-worth at all, is it? No. And it's something that a lot of people do unintentionally. They don't realise they're doing it. And it all comes from the lack of understanding of what autism is and how it affects different people. Yeah, so, yeah. but I, I can see this applied to 
just life in general because I'm while you're talking I'm thinking of my daughter who in when she started primary school was incredibly shy and actually embarrassingly so so you know another parent would walk past and and she and the parent would say oh hi how are you and and she'd literally just look at the floor and not talk and and I was embarrassed because it looked like she was being rude um, because yeah. society's rules are, you should look them in the eye and say, hi, I'm fine, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. But she found that, and she's not autistic, but she found that incredibly difficult because she was so crippled by her shyness. And then I'm saying to her, you need to make eye contact and you need to say, which isn't really acknowledging how she's feeling, is it? So It's really, it's really tricky. <laughs> yeah, very tricky. because it doesn't just apply to autism it can apply to anyone and everyone yeah and I, but I think your point of it's coming from a from it's not coming from a place of harm because all you're trying to do probably people who say it to you is all they're trying to do is help you play by the rules you know the common yeah. society communication they're rules. To, they're trying to change me and the way I do things to fit into a neurotypical world because they believe that is the better way. They believe that the neurotypical way is the way that will help me and it won't mm -hmm. because my autism is what works for me. And yes. the more people understand that, the more people stop trying to conform and or rather change me or autistic people, the better really. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And, and really we need to move to a society where you, you play by your own rules without harming other people, but anyone's rules are acceptable rather than us all trying to fit into... Where do these rules come from, anyway? Who came up with them? Um, but, yeah, interesting. Really interesting. Um, so, yeah, I think I think I will, I'll let you off the hook and you can go and chill out now, but I've really, really enjoyed talking to you, and... Thank you so much for having me on. Oh no, very, very welcome. And I'll say it again, here's the book, definitely worth picking up. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's one that I will go back and refer to time and time again. Um, really interesting. So yeah, go grab yourself that. You've also got a website, haven't you, which is aspergerworld.co.uk. And have you got a Facebook page? I do, and Twitter, um, at aspergerworld underscore Sorry, at Asperger underscore world. Excellent. And that's that's Twitter, is it? And for Facebook? Yeah, that's Twitter. Twitter's just Asperger world, I think. Great. Okay, brilliant. So you can go follow Jolie there and see her journey and definitely get a book and have a look at where she's speaking next because I bet it's... Um, I, I would love to come and hear you. Well, speak. a lot of speeches coming up. Thank you. What's the next big one? Um, the next big one, I'm a keynote for the NHS. Okay. With the new, um, yeah, the new launch of the development pathway for autism diagnosis. Okay. So I'll be the keynote then, and I'm super excited about it. Yeah. And then a few days after that, I've got I'm a TAD talker at the Welsh Autism Shows. I'm really excited about. That'll be in Cardiff, and anyone can turn up and you know, come along for the exhibition and all of the presentations and the TAD talks and things. It's on the 28th of September definitely worth doing in Cardiff, Great. Cardiff City Stadium and I've actually got like four other speeches that, that week but I can't really tell you about them. Great, but, yeah. but if, we, if we follow you on your pages then we'll, all will be revealed. Yes. Yes, brilliant. Okay, well thank you very much Joni, I'll let you go, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and good luck with the presentations. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs>
Thank you. Bye. Hi. So Luna wanted to uh, come and say hello. She was crying outside the door before we listened to uh, Jolie's podcast. So here she is. Oh, oof. <laughs> trying to get into the bag. So, always. Jamie, what did you think of that podcast? Now I'm really a fairy living a jam jar. <laughs> she wants to be a fairy and live in a jam jar. Not, not, not really, but it, it would be... It sounds so much fun, doesn't it? It would be cool, but we, I think I'd prefer to be a cat. Yeah, and we haven't actually read Jolie's book, so that's next on the list of things to do, definitely. Um, that podcast was amazing. I learned so many things, like gaslighting. Never even heard of it. You've um, never heard of gaslighting? Never heard of gaslighting. But now I've learned something new just from that podcast. And... Um, it's got the, the words gone completely out of my head, but a mate crime, that was it. Mate crime. You heard of mate crime? No. Right, so when she was talking about mate crime, I'm like, that's like, happens to so many people. I never I knew. I remember what it was. It was when she was saying about how you get friends that manipulate you, so they pretend to be your friends. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm tired. Um, yes, yeah, so I've learned so much from that podcast. Jolie was incredible, and like I said, we're gonna definitely going to read her book, aren't we? Yeah. Okay. If I have the time, because I have 70 million books. I've got a lot of books. I'm absolutely addicted to Audible at the moment. I've... Oh, I'm absolutely addicted to yawning. So, we're going to go. Don't forget that offer that's on at the moment. £10 for a Prime membership. Don't it... forget to worship your goddess, Luna. Luna is a goddess. Oh, she's going oh, to gonna lay down over there. So, yeah, £10 for a Prime membership gets you in the VIC group so that you can join me and Katie on the 5th of November for our bonfire party. See you later. Bye. You know what?